0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film. Hello
1: everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December twentieth, twenty eighteen. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about the latest film and TV news, and we're gonna get an answer to a question in life advice corner with Chris Evangelista. This is Slash Film editor in chief Peter Soretta, and joining me at his podcast is Slash Film Writers Why Trend Bowie.
2: Hey everyone.
1: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. The week is almost over. Christmas is almost here. Uh, Before we unpack the presents, uh, let's get to the latest news. Uh, Let's start first with how many movies Netflix plans to release next year. Uh, Actually, before we talk about that, Chris, do we know how many movies Netflix has released this year?
3: Uh, It's about... Uh, between like 70 or 80
1: so wow is, this just, is that many original movies
3: that's what they were aiming for i don't have the
1: specific number uh, i'd have to look into that wow so how many are they going to release next year
3: they're aiming for 90 movies in 2019 and to give some perspective on that uh most movie studios like universal studios who put out a lot of movies only do about 30 movies a year so 90 is a very big uh, increase from that, and keep in mind this is just movies. It's it's not factoring in all the other original stuff Netflix does, like TV shows and you know specials. Like this is just movies only. So the, the total number of original Netflix stuff total is going to be even higher. So uh, this is you know this is just the future. Netflix is going all out on this, and you know they can do what movie studios can't do because they they approach things very differently for one thing they don't spend nearly as much money uh marketing their things as movie studios do like movie studios have a huge marketing budget and netflix doesn't really do that and i guess that saves them enough money that they can uh do this and of course they also like to forego releasing in theaters which also saves money so I mean, this really is just the future, whether anyone likes it or not. Netflix is, is slowly taking over.
2: <laughs>
1: this is crazy because, you know, I think I've already said on this podcast, I've seen 60 movies this year. That means that Netflix is, are, has released more movies than I've seen this year. That That's insane.
2: Well, to be fair, not all of the Netflix movies are worth watching, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure a vast majority of them are not worth watching, uh, but I mean, like you know, I guess at this rate, in 2020, they'll be up to like 120 or 130 movies a year. That's like almost three movies a week. Oh God! <laughs> how How many Netflix movies have you watched this year, HT?
2: Oh, I don't. I don't know. I I've watched. Well, I can't count them. I don't really I don't really know what which ones I've watched. I've definitely watched All the Boys I Love Before multiple times, so
1: Speaking of which good segue. <laughs>
2: yeah. But they
1: are making a sequel.
2: Yes. This is one Netflix movie that I'm looking forward to because All the Boys I Love Before is getting a sequel um, following up the summer smash hit that starred Lana Condor and Noah Centineo. So this was something that we reported on about a month ago and that uh, Netflix was developing a sequel, but now the streaming giant has announced officially that a sequel is moving forward with the original stars and with a uh, new romantic rival who has yet been announced casting for um, for the uh, sequel. Although... Uh, His character appeared briefly in the post-credits scene in "To All the Boys I've Loved Before," but it seems the announcement video seems to suggest that they will be recasting this role for the sequel.
1: Interesting. Are are, are you? I know you are a big fan of this movie, but are are you excited for a sequel?
2: I am. I'm excited just to see uh, the. The super charming Lana Condor, Noah Centineo Centineo back on screen, even if it means some troubles among their ways romantically, but I I just, (laughs) I'm happy to see, you know, rom-coms back um, on the small screen, the big screen again, and uh, how we need this kind of is fair in a world like this.
1: Chris, was one of the 200 plus movies you saw this year, this movie? No, I have I have yet to watch this. Although I've heard it's 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 charming. I just have not gotten around to watching it yet. Well, now that this is a franchise, you must see it. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about another Netflix franchise. Let's talk about Black Mirror. There's some details that they're they're making a Black Mirror movie, and we kind of like are trying to piece together the details here. What is going on, Chris?
3: Yeah, this is a little convoluted. I tried to piece it together as much as I could. So, back in um, April, word broke. Now there were there there were set photos that surfaced from a Black Mirror episode being shot, and the episode at the time was known as uh, Bandersnatch, and we weren't sure if, sure if that was just a uh, a code title, a working title, or if that was a real thing. Um, and then uh, in October, uh, another thing broke saying by the end of the year, Netflix planned to release Black Mirror season five, which would also include a choose your own adventure episode uh, that in November, Netflix on Twitter posted this um, Basically, breakdown of everything new coming to Netflix in December, and at the very end, it said Black Mirror Bandersnatch on twelve twenty eight, and then they deleted that because apparently they weren't <laughs> supposed to let us know yet. Uh, so at the time, everyone was assuming that Bandersnatch was just an episode of of season five, and season five was going to drop on twelve twenty eight. But now, if you go to Netflix and you type in bandersnatch this little box comes up that says black mirror bandersnatch a netflix film which seems to suggest that they, they've actually made a black mirror movie and that's what bandersnatch is now it's still not clear if only the movie is coming on 1228 or if the movie and season five are both coming on 1228 but as of now on 1228 something black mirror related is going to come to netflix
1: and and netflix in the past has done like uh like didn't they do a holiday special at one point?
3: Uh, I don't think they did it themselves. I think that was when it was still on the BBC. That's when they did the holiday special for Black Mirror.
1: Okay, but um, so this is not that. This is a this is seemingly a feature film, like right. a feature length production that is in the Black Mirror uh, branding, I guess. Uh, yes. So, so, what do we know about this film?
3: Well, the, the the set photos revealed that the the set was designed to look like it was the 1980s. So it, it's safe to assume this is set in the 1980s. And of course, Black Mirror famously went to the 1980s in uh, the episode San Junipero. San Junipero was his, you know, the best Black Mirror episode yeah. ever. And we also know that in the UK in 1984 there was a video game being developed called Bandersnatch, but it never came out. Basically, they ran out of funding, and the, the game was uh, abandoned. So, whether or not this is going to tie directly into that because it's set in the '80s, or if they're just using that to start a, a you know a, a different story, but that's that's all we know for now. It what do we know about that
1: game? It. Like, what was that game going to be?
3: There's um there's almost there's almost no info. Basically, it was it was one thing, and then when the money ran out, it got turned into something completely different. So. I I doubt the game itself is going to be the subject of the episode, but you never know.
1: (laughs) Now, when we posted the story on SlashFum.com, one of our listeners, readers, uh, Honest Joe, responded, do we actually know that Bandersnatch was a real game that was being developed in the 1980s? Or is it possible that this is something they came up with for a backstory and have, you know, put out there onto the internet?
3: No 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 Bandersnatch really was uh, a video game here. I, I just looked it up. so there's it became a game called Bradicus. Uh, uh So this is um, it's it was it looks like it's a sci-fi game and that was released in 1986, but it was originally supposed to be called uh, Bandersnatch, which was developed by imaging by imagine software and there was press releases. there were all these things that prove, it really did exist unless black mirror <laughs> marketing is so good they went back in time and released
1: all this stuff hey i wouldn't put it past them um, yeah, you know. so if you want to get ready for this black mirror episode you know fire up your old ibm uh whatever computer and try to find um what is it brad
3: something bradacus b-r-a-t-a-c-c-a-s <laughs>
1: I doubt that game plays on any modern hardware of any
3: kind. Yes, probably not. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna include a uh, I'm gonna send Peter an image and we'll include that in the show notes notes, which is
1: the the original ad for Bandersnatch. Okay, cool. Um, uh, you know, speaking of video games, uh, the Uncharted uh, has been they've been trying to make an Uncharted movie. For I think as long as I've been writing about movies, which is over a decade, <laughs> and uh, most recently Sean Levy, the, the producer of Stranger Things, has been attached to this. And it seems like he, he was not able to make it happen. HT, what is going on here?
2: Yeah, so Sony has been trying to make an Uncharted movie for nearly 10 years now. And Sean Levy, who was the fourth director to be attached to this project, is the latest to leave it, um, so he uh, has vacated the position and will instead go on to direct a movie called Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds and Lil Ray, Lil Rel. Um, but meanwhile, Sony is on the hunt for yet another director to hopefully bring this uh, video game adaptation to the big screen. Uh, Tom Holland, star of Spider-Man: Homecoming, is still attached to play the young version of the video game protagonist, Nathan Drake, um, but that is the only. Uh, name attached to it still um, so Sean Levy is the was the fourth filmmaker attached to this after uh, David O. Russell who was attached back in 2010 Neil Berger uh, who came a few months later and lasted until 2014 and then Seth Gordon who also left about around 2016
1: <laughs> um you know, strangely, I think, you know, I don't play video games at all, but I think I'm the only one on this current episode of the podcast that has played an Uncharted video game. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Uncharted, uh, I'm sure many listeners out there uh, have played Uncharted, but it's kind of like Indiana Jones. as But if, like, John McClane from Die Hard, like he had the, the humor of John McClane from Die Hard. So, uh, I don't know. It, it's pretty insane. Like it's maybe like ratcheted up a little bit from what indie encounters. Uh, I don't know how Tom Holland is going to play into this. I guess it's probably going to be a younger version of
2: the character. Yes, he's going to be a younger. I guess this will be like a prequel in a way.
1: Yeah, um, but uh, t- I don't know. There, there's yet to be a good video game movie. Uh, I am interested to see what this is, but with Spielberg and another Indiana Jones, I'm not sure if there's a need for this. Although, you know, if you could get an interesting director, if they could get another, like, David Gordon Green involved in this, uh, you know, I'd be excited. So we'll have to see what comes of this. Uh, We've we been talking on the podcast about Jordan Peele's next movie, Um, and it called us and, uh, last week, or was it earlier this week? No, it was last week. It was definitely last week. Uh, we we came across a plot synopsis on a test screening, uh, giving us some information about this movie and now entertainment weekly has given us a little bit of more information. Chris, what do we know?
3: Uh, Yeah, so Entertainment Weekly dropped two uh, intriguing photos from the film, and they also have uh, an interview with Peele talking about it. Um, He says, uh, quote, For my second feature, I wanted to create a monster mythology. I wanted to do something that was more firmly in the horror genre, but still held on to my love of movies that are twisted but fun. Um, I'm sure everyone recalls that when – Uh, Peel's last movie came out Get Out came out there was this Weird argument where people were saying it's not Really a horror movie blah 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 Even though it clearly is a horror movie But it looks like no matter what happens Here that argument's not going to happen Because it looks like he's going like unambiguously for horror with this movie Uh, he also reveals that he made um uh, Lupita Nyong'o who stars in the film watch a series of horror films to get ready for the movie and those films include Dead Again, The Shining, The Babadook, It Follows, A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense and that's that's a very eclectic group of films i mean martyrs is uh like torture porn funny games is a, is a foreign film uh, you know everyone knows what the shining is uh, dead again is sort of this like mystery thriller so it's hard to really gleam what the movie is going to be from this list of films but i'm i'm
1: very intrigued well that that plot synopsis we got last week kind of painted the picture of almost a home invasion film right <sighs>
3: Yeah, I mean the the plot involves uh, a couple. They go to spend a weekend at their friend's beach house, and then something goes wrong. And one of these pictures has uh, Lapita Nyong'o like going down a basement, and she's all, uh, you know, disheveled, and that that gives me a very. That that seems very much like martyrs because there's a whole thing in martyrs where they find this hidden basement. So I'm I, it's I'm really not sure what he's going for here, and I'm I'm very excited to find out because I love to get out, and I'm very excited that he's sticking with the horror genre. I hope
1: he like he stays with that for a long time. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really surprised there's there's going to be monsters involved here because like if for some reason I was expecting this to be more of you know a grounded. Feature, but this is in, very intriguing. Uh, HG, yeah. do you have any thoughts on this?
2: Not anything that you guys haven't said. I'm also intrigued. I don't really know what to make of this list. Um, maybe it's vampires, because the right one in is in there. Um, they're, they count as monsters of some sort. But um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was something completely unexpected.
1: Um Entertainment Weekly, which broke these photos, also on the cover story, they had the first uh, images, I guess. Now, maybe not the first images because there's a teaser trailer, but the, the first images uh, outside of the teaser trailer from the film. First images uh, uh, showing Will Smith in costume as the genie. Um, and, HD, you did a whole write-up uh, kind of rounding up what we learned about Aladdin from these images in the story. What, what do we know?
2: Well, for one, Will Smith isn't blue in these pictures, which has already started a little bit of a hoopla around this. Although he later on came about, came out and said that uh, the genie will be blue, and we learned from this EW cover story that the effects are not quite finished yet for his uh, take on genie. But um, this whole new world of images uh, depicts our first look at. <laughs> at Will Smith's Genie, as well as our first look at um, Jafar, who's played by Marwan Kanzari, Um and uh, also a new character played by Nassim Pedrad, who plays uh, Jasmine's handmaiden. Um, we also got a first look of Abu, too, uh, wearing his signature vest. Um, and um, yeah, these uh, images give us a clear idea of Guy Ritchie's uh, vision of Aladdin, which uh, looks to be a little bit more diverse than the um, Disney version, Disney animated film. Uh, it will have people of all backgrounds, Southeast Asian, Asian, Arabic, and uh, populating the fictional country of Agrabah. And um, we also learned a little bit more about Will Smith's take on the genie, uh, which which Richie's description is kind of funny. Um, He says in the EW story, quote, I wanted a muscular 1970s dad. And he added he was big enough to feel like a force, not so muscular that he looked like he was counting his calories, but formidable enough to look like you knew he was in the room. And then Will Smith went on to describe having a sort of hip hop flavor in the role. So I'm not really sure how his genie will turn out but um...
1: this sounds like nothing I want
2: <laughs> also he has a top knot well a top knot like braid yeah. so
1: <laughs> now I know uh, when this story broke you, you were uh, a little um, you expressed in the Slack channel some cynicism over some comments from Guy Ritchie and uh, his approach to yeah. to this whole thing can you talk about that?
2: Well, Aladdin is um, an important uh, sort of cultural milestone in a way because it's it's depicting uh, is Disney depicting like these. Pe- these people of color in the main lead roles for, in a very rare like occasion. And yet Richie seems to be indicating that he will not really be focusing on the uh, the, the Middle Eastern culture uh, about it, but he calls it principally a human challenge rather than an ethnic one. And then goes on to talk about how he approaches it from a human standpoint, etc. despite having what he called an army culture ad- advisors on set. So it just seems to me that like this is just my opinion. It feels like he's kind of downplaying the cultural importance of this story, and you know, it's like the sort of all humans matter kind of thing that uh, is a way that to me feels like it's downplaying the um, the racial aspect, which is just as important as the the universal story um, because it plays such a central part in this um, in this story.
1: I feel like they have to get it right. I feel like if they have a, a group of a group of advisors on set with him, and like you know this seems, you know this is the same company. I, I they got Moana right. You know mm-hmm. they've they, they've done a good job in recent years, like kind of nailing this kind of thing. That said, you know I'm I'm not sure how much faith I have in Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Chris, do you have any thoughts on this?
3: Uh, I don't. I mean, you know, the images I, I've learned from you know doing this for a while that you shouldn't judge things by their Entertainment Weekly images <laughs> because Entertainment Weekly, especially their covers, tend to be really bad, and then the films themselves end up looking fine. So I, I don't want to except ju- for
1: Terminator genesis Yes,
3: that <laughs> that was the only time where it turned out to actually be worse than the photos. But <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't want to judge this too much. I do think it's weird that like Will Smith's. Blueness is gonna be, I guess, CGI. Like, couldn't they just put makeup on him? I don't. It just seems like a waste of money to be like, we have to do this with CGI. Like, just put makeup on it. It just seems like a lot less hassle to me. But what do I know?
1: But uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing it's twofold. I'm guessing number one, Will Smith doesn't want to spend you know three hours in the makeup chair getting, every day, getting covered in blue makeup. Yeah, yeah at, I guess at, the, that makes at sense. the beginning and 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 also this gives them wiggle room to play with how blue they want him in post. You know what I mean? Like they, once they track it, if you know how, you know, the computer tracking works and stuff, they can basically adjust that hue in any way after they have that data. in. but that's, that's a lot of data. They need a lot of manpower to, to put the track. They got to go through every frame and track him. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I
3: I also feel like they've like shot themselves in the foot with this because like, I feel like they should have just kept Will Smith's, you know, appearance a secret because now we've all seen him like he looks like now. And I, I, I don't know about everyone else, but I know, you know, from now on, every time I picture this movie, I'm going to picture that, you know, EW cover where he just looks like Will Smith dresses the genie and not, you know, like he's going to look in the movie. And it's, it's going to distract me forever. But that's me.
2: Now I know, like, you know, <laughs> you know what he looks like? He looks what? like um, that uh, Imagine Sinbad genie movie. Uh Oh,
3: Kazam. Kazam. Yeah. Shazam (laughs) is the real one.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I I feel like, um, studios still value the, you know, being present on the cover of a magazine, even though I, I I don't know anybody that actually reads the magazine. They read the website. And I, I feel like if I was a movie, if I was in studio publicity and marketing, I would be like, let's forget being on the cover of entertainment weekly because every single cover looks bad. Like, it's just like, like why, you know, I I would only give them like shots that came directly from the movie or from the set photographers. I would not trust Entertainment Weekly's photographers because they're horrible. And I I feel like that can only hurt the film. I don't know. Maybe maybe there is wide exposure of Entertainment Weekly. I'm sure it's at every grocery store. And even though people don't buy it, you know, millions of people walk by it and see it. I don't know. Chris, what do you think?
3: I mean, they've got to still have some circulation if they're still going, So you know, in in an era when so many print mags shut down. But, yeah, I, I agree on the on the sense that, you know, if I were working on a film, I would insist that if they're putting something from my film on the cover, it would have to be something. Like I approved or, you know, just because I don't know why, I don't know what is wrong with their cover photographers, but they, they, without fail, I don't think I've ever seen an entertainment weekly cover where I've been like, oh man, that looks cool. Just without fail. It always looks awful. And then the film usually looks fine, but I don't, I don't know. It's the lighting or how they, you know, render it. I don't know what they're doing over there, but I wish they would get it right.
1: Okay, let's move to our last story before we get to advice corner, and that is uh, we've been talking about Guardians of the Galaxy three uh, since James Gunn was taken off that project. We've been uh, talking about who could take the reins. We've had some speculation in in, in that area, and now we know another name that uh, apparently met uh, to possibly direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three. Uh, Chris, tell us about it.
3: Uh, Yeah, so Adam McKay, who, of course, directed Anchorman and The Big Short and this year's Vice, uh, revealed recently on a podcast that he was approached by Marvel to take over Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, You know, obviously he's not doing it or else that would be the headline, but he was asked to do it. And he also revealed that at one point when Inhumans was still going to be a movie before they decided to turn into a TV show that everyone forgot. Uh, He was going to direct that too, or at least he was asked to direct that. So, I mean, he has a history with Marvel. He wrote Ant-Man or, you know, he did some work on the screenplay for Ant-Man. So he's got a history with them. And he says in this interview that he's always talking with them about projects. So he might do something else down the line, but now we know at least he was
1: one of the people Marvel approached to take over
3: guardians of the Galaxy.
1: I'm curious what you guys think, because I feel like involving Adam, a, a filmmaker like Adam McKay feels very almost like when they hired Peyton Reed to direct Ant-Man. And I, I guess that turned out fine, right? Um, it it, did, it wasn't a bad movie, and I, I like Ant-Man, and I like Ant-Man and the Wasp. But um, he just doesn't seem to fit the Marvel playbook. Chris, would you be excited for an Adam McKay uh, Marvel movie?
3: I don't know because, you know, obviously he has a he has a background in comedy and I do think he's an interesting director. I like the big short. I'm one of the few people who really liked Vice, but his style is so different from James Gunn's. I mean, I feel like anyone who takes this over has an uphill battle, but his style in particular is worlds removed from James Gunn and Gunn's style of, of making movies. And I just feel like, it would be really glaring, it would really stick out. He would have to like he'd have to like basically just change the way he makes movies to make this. And at that point, like what's even the point of hiring him?
1: Yeah, I feel like McKay's style is more sitcom y. I don't wanna like it's like... it feels like I'm insulting Adam McKay. I like Adam McKay's stuff. But it doesn't feel as stylish and as fresh as you know, the Guardians movies from James Gunn. Uh H T, do you have any thoughts?
2: No, I agree with you because I think that with McKay um, eyeing uh, with Marvel eyeing Adam McKay, it feels like they're trying to go for a comedy first approach, but then ignoring like the style style that James Gunn brought to the Guardians movies. So I don't think he would be able to up, like hold up that end of the films. So I don't really know because like his yeah his style is a little more broad, I would say, than what we see in Guardians.
1: Yeah, th- this worries me some. I I really hope. Um... My theory, you know, I, I've expressed this on the podcast in the past. My theory is they should just have Taika Waititi, uh do it and it be a Thor Guardians movie. Um, and I, I feel like that would get you out of, you know, it could be Thor 4 slash Guardians 3. Um, I don't know. Not sure what you'd call it. I guess. Um, whatever. I don't know. Uh, Guard,
3: Guardians of the Ragnarok.
1: As Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the uh, what was that? Guardians of what?
2: Guardians of the Thorniverse. <laughs> I don't know. That was terrible. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, okay. L- l- we should probably end this here and move on to Advice Corner with Chris Evangelista. It's
3: Chris's Advice Corner.
1: Okay, in today's edition, Aaron from Kentucky writes in that one of the worst people to encounter when going to the theater is someone who can't put their cell phone away or is texting throughout the movie, which can really ruin the experience. Uh, What is the proper way to address such a situation? Would you tell a theater attendant that someone is disturbing you or ask the person to stop texting? So, Chris, what is the answer uh to this guy's question like how how do you address the situation?
3: Uh so you know if if it's at the point where it's so distracting you can't deal with it I would probably get a theater attendant because I am a coward and I don't want to confront people. Also <laughs> also people are and, crazy. And,
1: and this is why you watch movies at home. <laughs> yes, but, you're such I, I a mean, coward that you don't even want to go to the theater.
3: But uh, no, people are nuts like you know, I- I've been in theaters where I-, I haven't done it, but, like, someone else has tried to, you know, shush someone or say even, like, in a very polite way, could you please put your phone away? And people react like you've just, like, offended them. They're like, I'm not putting my phone... Like, they act like, you know, you're the one who's wrong, and then you're just creating a scene in the theater, and it, it gets even worse. Uh, you know, people are nuts. Like, I, I would, uh, you know, here here here's what I would do. I would either, one look to make sure look to see if there's an empty seat somewhere else and move or to ask, you know, someone at who works at the theater to do something because you know, you don't want to risk dealing with getting into a fight with some crazy person. Who's going to take it very seriously. And you know, realistically nine times out of 10, I'm sure someone would be reasonable and be like, Oh shit. And put their phone away. But I
1: I don't want to risk that. People are nuts. People are crazy. People are dangerous. Leave me alone. (laughs) I feel like I'm also a coward, but I will do the shh because you can do that really quick, and people won't know where exactly it came from. They know kind of the direction, but then you can, yeah, can act like, "Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't. I didn't but do the shh." Can you shush. do
3: that with your phone? I mean, I guess you could do that by like just yelling, "Put your phone away," and hope they don't realize it's you doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, I have an example. This wasn't a phone, specifically, but one time I went to see the uh, they re-released Blade Runner, the first one. And I went to see that in theaters and there was this guy sitting in front of me and he was literally he had seen the movie so many times that he knew it by heart. And he was quoting every single line in the movie and he was doing it really loudly. He was literally, he was like talking to the screen. And I leaned forward and I was like, sir, can you keep it down? And he went nuts. He was he like, me. If you if you don't like it, why don't you leave? So I literally had to go out and I got like an usher, and I was like, Can you please get this guy to shut the hell up because he is insane? And the usher came in and was like, Sir, please keep it down. And from then on, he was quiet, but he flipped out at me. And I, I asked him very nicely. I was like, sir, please and he he lost his mind. So you know, ever since then, I've tried to avoid <laughs> like interacting with anyone at a theater because I don't want to deal with that.
1: HT, how do you deal with the situation?
2: Also being a non-confrontational coward, I just mostly glare at them and hope that they're telepathic in some way. Or, um, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to, um, to talk to an usher though. Cause that's just like too much movement for me but uh See, that I would, would mean that i would
1: have to miss some of the movie yeah
2: i don't want that, that to happen i'd rather just like maybe tap them on the shoulder and ask them nicely i have not had the experience of crates people like chris so maybe that's why i'm a little bit more um inclined to do that and also like people won't yell at me because i'm a small asian girl <laughs> unless they're like evil so i don't know that's that's, <laughs> usually, that's usually the course of action i would do
1: that's hilarious um you know, I live in LA uh, and I will say the industry crowds are the worst, maybe not at public screenings, but when you go to uh, maybe not necessarily press screenings, but like when I'm at Sundance, you see this happening where there's like people in the industry they you can tell they're not press, but they're like somehow in the industry. Uh, you know, these are people that get screeners of movies they get, you know, uh, screenings at, you know, CAA and whatever. And they'll be on their phone the entire movie, like checking their Facebook, just refreshing it and stuff like that. And it's it's like the worst kind of people because they feel like – I think they're so used to being able to see, like, new things in, in a way that they're able to, like, sit in a small screening room by themselves and, and uh, you know, have their phone open that they don't realize how uncourteous it is. So I, I've seen this happen at, like, Sundance or a TIFF um, in the industry screenings. Um, but uh, I feel like living in a big city, and I wonder what your experience with this is, HTE, because you just moved to New York. Um yes. That uh, you kind of get away from a lot of the – okay, uh, last week I, I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, we were at Disneyland, and we went to a small theater, or a big theater, uh, in Orange County. And this is, like, in, like, you know, the suburbs. And it's been a while since I've seen a movie kind of in, the, in a suburban mall. And this was us seeing a movie at, like, 9 p.m., and there was babies crying during the movie, kids talking. And I feel like being in L.A. and seeing movies that, like, theaters that cost probably, you know, the ticket prices a few dollars more... And, you know, people generally don't have, you know, there aren't as many families at, like, you know, nighttime screenings here. You don't generally get that kind of stuff. You might get the guy on his phone, um, you know, checking his Facebook or something like that. But you don't generally get uh, the kind of stuff you get at a suburban theater. And maybe that's me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. The, m- maybe that is a broad judgment of two different types of audiences, but uh, I- I've noticed that. So, HD, I'm wondering what your experience has been thus far in Manhattan.
2: Manhattan has been good, actually. Like, there have been – I've gone to – most of the screenings I've gone to are, like, either smaller screening rooms or something. But I have gone to see movies at, like, the AMC in Times Square. And while that crowd generally j- tends to be, like, kind of <laughs> rowdy, I want to see – Suspiria there and I was surprised to see like the entire crowd was like wrapped it's in rapt attention at the screen I expected to like have to see some people leave but they were pretty good audience and I haven't had like bad audience experiences so far even with big movies or big theaters like that um Aquaman I I saw at at that theater and like it was mostly like fans who who were there and who were very excited Bumblebee 2 was like a big theater crowd who were just like all Transformers fans and were excitedly giggling and whispering at like, you know, the Autobots who showed up, but it wasn't any way that like, that uh, distracted me. Um, Although there was, there was one guy who was just like very excitedly explaining to his friend everything that was happening. So I was just like, but I just, I kind of just let that be. I think I'm a little bit more tolerant of, of theater going uh, crowds than Chris is. I kind of just, I can zone them out for the most part. Um, but I will say I have noticed this, similar things with uh, suburban theaters, actually, because when I was in D.C., I was in like northern Virginia and would go to um, theaters that are more in the suburbs. And while some theaters I went to were like outhouse theaters that mostly had older crowds, there were a few at like the mall that um, were just like very disrespectful of the movie. Or at one point, I think I went to see The Little Stranger in a Tyson's at the, the uh, mall theater and um this like group of teenagers walked in and then like asked me what the movie was and stayed for twenty minutes before leaving. And I was like, okay, why did you come in then? Huh. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. So I do I do think that there is that sort of divide. I expected actually for the new like the New York and city crowd to be a bit more disrespectful, but I found to be somewhat of the opposite. It does depend on like the kind of theater you're at, though. So.
1: Yeah. Chris, what have you noticed in your like local theaters? Like how how does that uh, compare
3: it really depends like I go out of my way to go to <laughs> as 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 many underpopulated screenings as I can I mean if I'm going to a press screening I can't help who's there but if I go to like a regular movie I try to go like very early in the morning because I know it's not going to be crowded um but yeah I, I do find that suburban theaters where it's like you know board teens just waiting to kill time like they don't give a shit about like anyone or anything so you know they're just there because they have nowhere else to go and they you know they don't want to go home to their mom's house so we you know i i do i do find that happening a lot
1: in my screening of spider-verse there was like kids taking photos of the screen with the camera during the movie and it i don't know it's just a mess <laughs> uh
3: you should have read those kids out they're committing a felony peter you're not yeah. about it <laughs>
2: My question is, would you guys ever call the cops on, on a loud or a theater goer or someone on their phone? No, I
1: would I would not
3: go that far.
1: I, I think you're referencing a, a journalist named Alex Billington, who a few years ago at the Toronto International Film Festival called 911 uh, because someone, it was one of those industry people that I'm, I'm talking about in an industry screening, would not, kept on taking photos of the screen or something, or was on their phone or something um chris have you noticed that because you go to a lot of film festivals have you noticed that industry people are
3: i do i do notice, like if, if you go to a very early morning uh press and industry screening there are a lot of people who like they seem like they're like publicists who actually don't give a shit about them i don't know why they're there but they're just there like checking their phones like one time i was at a screening at tiff and this woman sat next to me and she was like literally doing work on her laptop the entire movie and it's like I don't know why you're in this theater doing that, but yeah, I, I have noticed that.
1: I wish I had an Elmo Draft House near me. I know Chris, you don't have one near you, right? No, I know. In HD, you finally have one that's somewhat close. Brooklyn, I
2: do. Yeah, the Brooklyn one. I went to see The Favorite there, and they had the Favorite themed menu, so I was very excited to uh, to go see the movie there. It was um, uh, it was some sort of oh, what was it? Those pineapple cocktail? And then uh, some really rich like strawberry smoothie of a sort. It was delicious. and uh, yeah it was it was good. i I was kind of it was interesting to have that experience because you know you're you have a menu and you have people serving you, but it was pretty non-disruptive. and uh, I mean they have it they have a a well-oiled machine there, and it's it's really cool. You don't have to uh, if you get hungry, you don't have to like go outside and <laughs> And get a snack,
1: well, the thing I love is that whole no talking no on your phone policy that mm-hmm. they have because you can be the coward, like all of us are <laughs> um you just gotta write like on the piece of paper and like your your waiter see you know looks every like you know ten fifteen minutes to see if there's a new paper like, in, like you place it like in front of your where you're seating and they come and grab it, and you could write like you know the guy behind me keeps on talking, and like they'll monitor the situation and take care of it for you, so it's like. It's almost uh I guess they're they're your silent bodyguard, I guess. <laughs>
2: so yeah, I don't know why but whenever there are really strict rules like that, I get paranoid that I'll be the one who accidentally talks or gets on my phone <laughs> even though I know I don't do that kind of thing. But I'm like, "Oh my god, am I going to get kicked out and never able to return?" See, the the
1: one thing I do and I hope it doesn't annoy anybody, but I I have my my Apple Watch is still on, but it's under my sleeve, so it doesn't light up and uh I, I, like Interrupt other people. I don't think anybody can see it, or I'm I'm 99% sure no one can see it. Um, but if I get a phone call which has a different vibration than like a text message or than uh, like an email or something, if I get a phone call or text message, I will look under my sleeve. But I don't think anybody can see it because I'm like like it's like so. Uh point of view does that make sense of like Mm -hmm. me having my hand and just cover i don't know uh but yeah i'm always worried like i i don't want to interrupt the movie for other people i feel like i don't know people are just assholes like i'm like when i when the chance is that i have to look at my watch or whatever i i feel like i'm so courteous about it like i'm like blocking it i'm like do you know what i mean like i'm but some people just don't care like, yeah, it, it's yeah. terrible. People suck.
3: <laughs> I've been These saying These are
2: the ones going to hell.
3: I've been saying this for a full year and everyone says I'm negative, but no, I'm right. <laughs> I'm correct.
1: <sighs> How can we fix this, Chris? uh
3: all all movies should go straight to my house so i don't have to leave <laughs> that's, Then that's...
2: that means we'll all have movie screenings at your place
3: oh no no that i don't mean worse. <laughs> i don't mean
1: only my house that is yes. chris's worst nightmare <laughs>
3: oh, you can only
1: watch them at my house no We're no party I...
3: at chris's house.
1: <laughs> okay so i think that brings us to the end of today's film daily chris where can people find more of your work online
3: uh, I am always at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at c evangelista 413
1: H.T., where can we find you?
2: I am also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbui.
1: You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about in today's podcast in the show notes and linked on sh- Uh SlashFilm uh, Slash Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or if you need life advice from Chris. Uh, and, and please get, get, send send Chris some questions. They don't have to do. They don't always have to do with movies or TV shows. Like it could have to do with like your your relationship. I think Chris wants to answer them all, right? <laughs> uh, yes,
3: I'm just picturing me giving relationship advice, and that's yeah. going to be very funny. So please write. <laughs> Write <laughs> in your
1: relationship <laughs> advice. Uh, yeah. So you can send that to peter at slash Uh That's peter at slash com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please go to our iTunes page. Uh, write us like, you know, a few sentences, a five star review. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. So movie party at Chris's place.
2: Yeah, <sighs> it'll right. be like the scene from Mother where he's just stressing yes. out about the uh, about the <laughs> <Your> sink.
1: <laughs> walls are just falling
3: down, and yeah. uh, all right, I'll get the chairs. Right wait, in. so
1: if we're watching a movie at Chris's place and Chris is on his phone, what do we what do, Chris? You,
2: we can <laughs> kick him out of his own house and just yes. take over from there.
3: What makes you think I would go on my phone? I take watching movies at home very seriously. I don't check my phone. <laughs>